0: I actually just don't want to talk about your dog anymore.
1: Welcome to the Conversation Series. For Season 2 of this podcast, I have invited some wise and winsome guests from across the country to talk to us about mission and ministry. This week, I'm delighted to have one of my best friends, Jonty Langley from BMS World Mission and the Beer Christianity Podcast, come and chat to us all things mission and communication. Welcome to the podcast, friend.
0: Hey, how you doing?
1: (laughs) I'm good. How are you?
0: I am all right, thank you. I'm not too bad at all. It's um, it's a gloomy day in Oxfordshire, but uh, I have the day off, which is nice.
1: Oh, happy days. Are you in full lockdown? I meant to ask that earlier.
0: Yeah, we are in full lockdown. Well, not as full as the last one, but it's still, it's quite full. So you can only go out to kind of exercise or buy essential shopping or shoot graphs, I believe. I think that's what Boris's <laughs> latest kind of thing is, so that's what it is.
1: Oh man, what have they said? Have they said how long that is for?
0: I think it's going to go until mid-December. I think what they're trying to do is save Christmas, which I assume is is save save an opportunity for a third spike. I don't know a third <laughs> spike, a third spike. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, we've just, we've gone into tier three here. Okay, uh, probably will be in tier four in a couple of weeks because it, it's looking worse. But we have a scattered system, so different counties are in different tiers depending on how bad it is. Um, but essentially, just don't go anywhere unless you have to. That seems to be yeah. the. Little-
0: I think that seems to seems to be the vibe, and you know.
1: That's how uh. I live my life, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I am in. So I am England, Rothis, You know that. Um, and I start every podcast by telling people how I met my guest, how we became friends, and it did, it technically our story doesn't start England, Rothis, but I feel like the significant part of it does. So we met when you were at the Baptist Assembly in 2015, which was in Motherwell, and I was leading worship. But really, we met in 2016 when it was in Glenrothes. That's right. I, um, I honestly don't remember if we met in 2015. I think we crossed paths at the sound desk.
0: <laughs> I think we did. I, I I thought you were terribly intimidating because you were this cool worship leader, and what? you know, I, you're not a lot to talk to the talent, you know. And I was very much backstage, and uh, yeah. But then the next year actually got to speak to you backstage and um i believe helped you pick out a pair of shoes for your uh leading of worship on sunday morning i want to say sunday night something like that i don't know uh and uh yeah and then we struck up a friendship i think on twitter initially
1: yes where you told me just gonna out you to the world where you (laughs) told me
0: terrified about what you're gonna say right now (laughs) you told
1: me a lot of things but you told me that you like puppies and i based our whole friendship on this lie that you also like puppies and cute puppy videos and it turned out to be a lie
0: i'd just like to say to everyone uh, at leslie baptist that it's really important That you don't say anything negative about puppies, dogs, or particularly your pastor's puppies and dogs, because it is... You don't even know
1: his name.
0: I don't know his
1: name. (laughs) (laughs) Why are we friends?
0: No, wait, wait. It's Bear. It's Bear. I know. I know his name's Bear. Mm -hmm. But the point is that you are honestly one of the smartest and most reasonable people I've ever met. However, except when it comes to this, I honestly think this is like four years ago at this point and you're still angry about it I and it's weird. I still bring it up,
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: Every day.
1: <laughs> Every other day I bring it up. Oh yeah. dear. But that that weekend when we were in Glenrothes is such a significant weekend for me and I don't know that I have really told the church this story so I'll tell it to them now in case they haven't heard. So I was leading worship in Rothes Halls and I was the children and families worker for Carlisle Baptist at the time had no ambition to be anywhere else at that point. And on Saturday night of the assembly, all the production staff, the band, we all went back to the hotel for dinner. And I remember sitting at this table with Jim Purvis and Francis Bloomfield and the conversation steered around to why they thought I should do the accreditation process and become an accredited Baptist minister. I remember thinking, this might be the stupidest thing that Jim Purvis has ever said because in what world would I want to be a Baptist minister? In what world would anybody put me in charge of leading their church? In what world does this seem like a good idea for me? And somehow, three years later, here we are. I am an accredited Baptist minister uh, leading a church who have let me loose. And we all have have Jim Burvis to thank for that.
0: It's an, an excellent thing and also I just love the idea of anyone saying to Jim Purvis that he's stupid because he may be the least stupid person I've ever met so that's hilarious.
1: But he's great he, he kind of set me on this path and I, I always want to ask him did he know did he have me in mind for Leslie did he have any clue I think they were vacant at that time I suspect that man has ways of seeing the future perhaps even creating it.
0: <laughs> no, no pressure Jim.
1: <laughs> anyway In this episode of the Jim Purvis podcast, (laughs)
0: we're going to talk about our famous Jim moments. And yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: So you have met Jim because you work for BMS.
0: I do BMS World Mission. Uh, I met Jim uh, many times over the years. And I honestly have to confess that for, are we really going to make this podcast about Jim? I (laughs) I think think we we are. are. Okay. (laughs) Okay, cool. Well, let's let's just run with it. You're welcome, Um, Jim. I I think I met him on various boards to do with BMS and Scottish Baptist Assembly and, um, yeah, all all of that kind of stuff. And for most of the time, I just remember him being that incredibly smart dude. (laughs) I just remember thinking he's terrifyingly smart, but also kind of nice. And um, I think I ended up having a beer with him and a bunch of people at IBTSC, the International Baptist Theological Study Center now in Amsterdam, um, when I was there to go and look at their, oh, I can't remember what it's called, is it a colloquium or something like that? I don't know. Anyway, it's where all the students come and read their progress on their, you know, um, dissertations or theses and um, and then get torn apart and being told like, well, this isn't really a dissertation or like that kind of stuff. It's honestly, I've never been gladder to have quit my masters than than sitting in that room, uh, but also got to know uh, Jim and all the wonderful people at IBTSC as well there. Um, but yeah, I work for BMS. I'm in the comms department.
1: What is a comms department? <laughs> <laughs>
0: So um, BMS is about to enter into a new strategy in 2021. And so a lot of stuff is in flux, including our comms department, which is going to, I think, be renamed our comms and fundraising department, just to kind of um, make some of the, (laughs) basically. Um, I think charity comms is basically communicating with the public and supporters and potential supporters. So for some charities, that's a lot of kind of media work, talking to the press, um, that sort of thing. I think denominational mission agencies are less Interesting to the press these days than the kind of large umbrella, uh, you know, DEC type uh, organizations or all or, or that sort of stuff. Um, and I think they also just have trouble understanding what we are, particularly Baptists. I think even even people who are kind of adjacent. We had somebody who had done work with a lot of these big agencies like TFund Fund and those kind of guys um, coming in and uh, and doing a little bit of consultancy for us, and <laughs> and said, "So who's in charge of the Baptists?" And we were like, "What." Well, <laughs> and she's like, no, but like, you know, who, like, who can tell yeah, all the Baptist role? churches what to do? Legitimately, who I think role? that's what they were thinking of. And I was like, yeah, that's not really how Baptists work. Um, but yeah, we basically put out uh, magazines, we do direct mail appeals, we do the website, we do videos, um, conferences, events. Uh, organize speakers to come into churches, run programs where people can um, stay in touch with mission workers. Uh, We try, basically, if you support BMS, or if you are the kind of person who might support BMS, my team and the rest of the department I'm a part of uh, are the people who will try and let you know what your support is achieving, um, or try and convince you to carry on supporting us. it's a, it's a weird thing because I think in the church, uh, sometimes we think that charities and particularly mission charities, you know, if, if there's anything that is actually kind of, um, intentional about trying to drum up support that's somehow grubby or, uh, we somehow, like yeah, we don't like we it. We're all a little squeamish about, about it. it. Yeah. Cause money should just rain down from heaven. And if it doesn't, then obviously <laughs> God isn't smiling on your ministry. Um, and, and I, I'm i really proud to be part of a communications department. I'm really proud to work with writers and designers and people who are really good on the phone and administrators and fundraisers who understand the science of these things and are professional about it, but are doing it to the glory of God and and trying to raise money to, you know, get people to pray, to raise support for something that is really making a huge amount of difference. Um, I, 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 I'm i super proud of that and I'm, I'm never apologetic about it, which sometimes annoys people, but you know.
1: I don't think you should be. It's interesting because the, I think the Christian tendency, probably the church tendency, because we, we are funny about finance and we don't like spending on things that are artificial or unnecessary design work. You obviously have invested time in getting the right people on board to make things um presentable
0: we we have a weird as christians i think i think you are right we have this thing of going we don't want to spend money on anything that doesn't matter that seems frivolous that seems uh extraneous to the core and i think
1: all on word Ourselves. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um and then we're super surprised when nobody wants to give to it except the, the same people who've been doing it out of duty for years. Mm-hmm. I think for for me it's about respecting the people who support you. Um and saying everyone is busy, everyone has a tough time keeping up with all the things they want to do, never mind all the things they should do. And and I don't think it's respectful to a donor or a potential donor or a supporter to give them something substandard because, ah, well, they're a Christian, they're gonna give to us anyway. Um, I think also the fact is if you make stuff that's worthy but dull, people won't read it. Mm -hmm. And I really care about telling the stories of the people who are being helped and the people who are doing the helping because often it's local Christians on the ground that BMS is coming alongside and I believe their work needs to be honored. Um, I believe that there's stories of people who are on the margins of society around the world whose stories really need to be told. And there is no point in telling a story badly because people won't listen. It's 2020, there is no reason for somebody not to click onto the next thing. There is no reason for somebody to open an envelope that doesn't seem interesting to them or to open a magazine that doesn't promise them something more than just doing their duty um so i've been in charge of the writers and designers for the last few years and our whole kind of motivation has been to make things that are excellent in themselves so that people will want to read them so that people will be interested and enjoy and do all that kind of stuff while at the same time getting the information we believe they need being inspired and ultimately getting them to come into a stronger relationship with the work that bms is doing if you want to do a job well, you cannot have amateurs doing doing it.
1: No, and I and I agree that actually to honour the people who support you by giving them something worth their time, the kind of con- the tension is you should support it because it's a good cause regardless of what they do, and on and you're like, well, yes, that's my responsibility as the supporter is to see beyond poor design or see beyond badly told stories and support good work. That's my responsibility, mm. but you. Your responsibility is to honor the supporter, and therefore yeah. you do that to the best of your ability. Uh, and I don't support BMS because they have great graphic design. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you honor your supporters by saying we will tell them the stories and give them the information in ways that are interesting and valuable to them. And I also think there's a maybe it's a generational thing. I don't, can I put us in the same generational bracket, you and I?
0: I mean, I'm so much older than you, so please do. <laughs>
1: okay. I'm an elder millennial. What are you? Jen? <laughs>
0: I'm Gen X uh, on the cusp of uh, millennial. I could fit into either, but I'm my heart is Gen X because I'm quite alternative.
1: <laughs> OK, and um, there's something in our consumer subconscious that when we see something that's poorly designed, I well, I, I'll speak for myself, not for an entire generation, but I see something poorly designed and I think, OK, so you don't know your audience or the world they live in. Hmm. Mm. um I see that when I see church posters that are dreadfully designed and I think yeah you don't understand that this world actually values presentation uh, yeah. and I don't think it's superficial I think God is an artist God's a designer and I think our investment in those things honors parts of his character as much as all the other stuff um and so I, I value that BMS value that side of it um but you have a great job because you get to tell people stories. And you and I talk at length about how we love to share stories that matter. I think that's one of our kind of overlapping passions. Um, And I've been wondering about your role, because when you're telling stories, you're telling stories of people, not just the missionaries and the great work that they do, but you are telling the stories of communities and vulnerable people and people who could easily be exploited for kind of tragedy inspiration. And Mm -hmm. is there a fine line in the work that you do? How do you tell a story in a way that makes the, serious of the situation, seriousness of the situation apparent without exploiting the vulnerability of the people involved? How do you make sure that person's dignity and worth is still intact at the end of a story?
0: Yeah, I think that's such an important thing. And I think it's related to what we were just talking about. There is a tendency to look at communications work as somehow frivolous and superficial. And unimportant, which then translates into somehow untrustworthy. You know, we've got these, you know, really easy, lazy concepts of spin doctors and and that sort of stuff. So, just like a designer having a design on something doesn't make it superficial; it actually makes it communicate better because it's more likely to break through the noise. Uh, but but it still gets criticized for that. In a similar way, there are things that are quite difficult to do as a communications professional, that that might even be quite uncomfortable, but are important. You know, journalists come into the same, for the same stick. Uh, and, and I know it can be taken too far and you are right, there is a line, but we need to know what's happening in the world. And for that to happen, we need people to report it. And you can shout at that person and say, well, why aren't you doing something to help? I always like to turn it around and say, why aren't you doing something to help? And often the reason why people aren't doing something to help is because they don't know. So our job is to tell these stories. I think there is a there is a very real danger and I think a lot of Western agencies have been guilty of this, of infantilizing or making uh, particularly people in countries in Africa look uh, helpless and weak and needy and and all these very negative portrayals um and i think the charity sector for a while came in for i think quite legitimate criticism because of that that said these days i see very few reputable charities doing the kind of flies in their eyes imagery i was just to,
1: thinking of those
0: <clears throat> yeah um and i think that's a trope that is still in the minds of people going oh charities do that even when they don't um They don't actually see that happening a lot. Um, I know people talk a lot about children in need. Um, I I don't watch it, so I can't really comment. What I will say is that I think some of the criticism has probably gone too far. And you hear this more intensely within charities than outside it. So any criticism that you hear of charities outside, you need to understand the people inside, because they're so obsessed with doing good and making the world better and doing good things in a better way, they end up being self-critical to the point of, I think, mania at times where where I, I have I have very good friends. My wife also works in the NGO sector and so we'll often kind of chat and and just this kind of like self-flagellating, oh, but are we doing it wrong that almost verges on the if we take a picture of a person who's stealing their soul. Like yeah. like no, there is nothing inherently damaging to somebody's dignity in telling the story that they have had something terrible happen to them or that they have needs that should not be met. It always depends on the way you tell the story and what you're doing. If you're just telling it for voyeuristic, you know, pleasures like Benefit Street or whatever, where the whole narrative is about looking down on these people because aren't they awful, then I think that is completely unchristian. I think that's very... That that's not the right thing. If what you're saying is, there is very ser- serious need here. So we need to meet it because that is our job as Christians. And not because we're better, not because we're superior, not because we're white saviors, helping people to help themselves in a sustainable way, which is what every reasonable charity does these days, um, is really important. But the fact is, when people are told, these guys are already doing fine, but can you help them out a bit? They don't give money. And that's yeah. And, and fundraising is the one form of communications that is a science in the sense that we can see all of the evidence there. We know exactly what works and what doesn't because we can see where the people give. So you have to balance that. We want to do this right. So in, in BMS's case, we will never kind of tip into Islamophobia, even though that's the kind of thing that can get people to shell out a lot of cash because we believe that that ends up making the world a worse place. But we won't shy away from the fact that there is need in this area. And and as a Christian, you have the opportunity to participate with the local church and with the work that God is already doing. Not you doing it, but God is doing it through his people and not just the white people, not just the northern hemisphere people, not just the western people, to really make a difference. Um, You have to walk the line, absolutely, and your narrative has to be careful. But, but when people come and say, well, why do your videos never show all of the affluent Nigerians? Because... Our job isn't to help them <laughs> in the same they're, way they're that
1: we fine, actually. Yeah,
0: we also don't show a lot of the bankers in in Britain because they're not they're not <laughs> they're not who we're working with, no. you know. Like somebody should be telling those stories and I completely agree. It's just charities who are set up specifically to help people. <laughs> mostly have to talk about the people who need help and if you stop if you start pretending that there is no need for help i think you actually become dishonest in the other way Mm
1: -hmm. but there's there's something in people's psyche sometimes that if you say one thing or focus on one set of people it's like you're denying that the others exist and you're like i'm not saying they don't exist they exist we know they exist yeah, <laughs> they're they're fine and they're there, they're just not our focus right now. Um, and there's I a think, line, right? Yeah, because
0: yeah. like if people are saying we really need to help the billionaires in California because the fires damaged their gardens, I'm gonna say no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say I feel sad for their trauma for sure, but I but no, they can
1: afford therapy and a new garden.
0: Yeah, and so BMS's kind of focus is always it's the most marginalized and the least evangelized those are the people who we're trying to work with. And we can't you know, help all of the most marginalized and least evangelized, but, but we try to make sure that we're not pouring the resources of people who are often giving very sacrificial into helping people when there are people who need more. And that I agree, that is a total pathology that we have of like, well, you can't help them because what about the others? But I hear, uh, I, I'm a South African and a white South African and a lot of the racist white South Africans I know get incensed if you are trying to help the overwhelmingly more poor and definitely um, historically oppressed black South Africans because, oh, well, there are also poor white South Africans out there. Now it's a complicated issue, but ultimately I tend to go with where the need is greatest.
1: Hmm. And there's something important about the narrative side of it as well. So I'm very conscious for our church, just to bring this home for people who are listening, you know, we do newsletters in the church. We're trying to keep communication up. We need lessons for your comms department. We're trying to keep <laughs> communication up for the church while we are uh, socially distanced. and And, you know, we've been doing lunch box deliveries for the community. So we're delivering 65 lunches a day to people in need in the community. That's and so I'm very aware of the language, what we put in the newsletter and how we speak about the people that we deliver food to. I'm very conscious of that, especially when we talk about it publicly, because our services are online now. Our newsletters could be found anywhere if you were they were lying around. And I always think if if one of the people who received the food parcels from us was to read this or to hear this, how would they feel? Mm. How would their dignity be impacted by hearing the way that we speak about them? And so I'm very conscious of how we present those stories without saying, we the great Christian saviors have gone to the poor and throwing food on their doorsteps and they are grateful for the scraps that we give them uh you know not that we would ever say that but you can almost get down that road if you're not oh yeah and so even even in churches how we talk about people that we are witnessing to who we're ministering to um who we're serving kind of in terms of food and poverty relief i mean how what are the principles the church can take from that Because we're not journalists and we're not magazine article writers, but but our language matters for the dignity of those we serve. So what can we take away from what you do to help us be mindful of that with what we do?
0: So I I think you're already doing it really great by thinking, what would they think if they read this? I think that's one of the principles we always try to employ. Um, I would also say that you could take it a step further and go more biblical and just go more biblical. I'm just going to shame, I'm going to Bible shame you Uh, and go do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. So if you were a person who needed food help from a food bank, which if you are in rented accommodation, you're two months away from, um, because that, that is the kind of society we live in, which by the way, that's why Christians should be campaigning for a better structure and system to our society. But, um, uh, if you, if you were sleeping rough, if you had no money for food, how would you like to be spoken of? Mm -hmm. Um, and now the fact is sometimes you might not want to be spoken about at all because, well, it's so embarrassing. I don't want to. And I think this is where it does become complicated because you do have to tell the stories to make this stuff happen. Money, like we said earlier, doesn't grow on trees. Um, people need sometimes to be convinced. I would love it if everybody was such a good person that they were all giving, you know, sacrificially and, you know, 60% of all of our income above our basic needs was going only to helping others, but that's not the case. So sometimes people need to be given the opportunity Um, and to be told, and to be told about it, and people respond overwhelmingly, people respond to an identifiable beneficiary to it. So the question is, how are you speaking about those people? There is a a thing that has persisted since Victorian times about the deserving and undeserving poor, um, and uh, whether we whether somebody really truly deserves it. And some charity communications, even now, try to make it clear that, don't worry, the people that you're helping now, it wasn't their fault. As if Jesus made that distinction before he helped people. (laughs) You know, I think as Christians, we need to be the ones who are about grace, where somebody needs help, you help them it's not about well i don't know why that guy was walking on the road when the robbers set upon him you know maybe we should talk about that you know and like all of the victim blaming stuff that i think we can get into so don't get into things of deserving and undeserving i think also try and anticipate what criticisms might be you know like how 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 something might be spun and try and make sure that you're avoiding language that would that would allow that. So for me the narrative is if people are able to help themselves then definitely you know highlight that don't just highlight your yourself in it um I also think that you can go too far in the other direction and say, well, we should never talk about people. Again, it's that thing that I mentioned before about not being in need. And you can get really quite critical of the way people tell the story of the good stuff that they're doing. Um, and I would just kind of misappropriate Charles Spurgeon and say that I I like their way of doing it more than your way of not doing it. Um, I think it is more important to help people, even if you communicate it badly, than to not help people in case the communication goes awry and i think there's there is definitely a tendency in certainly kind of uh left-wing liberal enlightened progressive media middle-class kind of circles to go oh this whole thing that they're doing to help these people who are literally in the midst of a man-made famine is garbage because you know they they sent some celebrities and they were a little bit opportunistic and it looked like they were getting a photo you know opportunity with it if i was and and praise the lord i haven't been in that situation but if i was in the situation i think i would prefer to get the help Mm -hmm. um and for the public to kind of get outraged or mock outraged at the way the public is asked for money when the public is often not that keen to part with their money for those less fortunate or for those in countries that are not their own or from yeah. backgrounds like, like that feels like hypocrisy. Yeah. But again, if they're getting outraged, you're not doing your communications job. Well,
1: because <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're also like, well, I get behind that cause because that celebrity was on board and I trust them because they are a face that I yeah. know and love. So we kind of have created that system where, well, who are you and why should I support you? Oh, cause Kim Kardashian's involved. Cool. Have my money. And then at the same time, going, oh, Kim Kardashian going down to a food shelter. How opportunistic.
0: Yeah, Yeah. well, and again, for me, I'm just like, if Kim Kardashian, if I could get Kim Kardashian's (laughs) Twitter followers to know the amazing project that we're doing in Chad right now, where we are helping so many people, and we're doing it in the name of Jesus in a primarily Muslim country, I would take it (laughs) and I'm not here to judge Kim Kardashian's fashion choices or lifestyle or why she became famous or whatever. Um, I, I don't know. I I know some people are squeamish about this. I think we should be unapologetic and we should, here's the problem with the church is Jesus says, Jesus says, or with this particularly, Jesus says we need to be as cunning as serpents and as innocent as doves and what we are is as cunning as doves, and as innocent as doves. <laughs> like, Story as, my life. You've, you've missed out, guys, you've missed the point. Like, sometimes we have to be smart. Sometimes we have to use techniques that, you know, human wisdom has given us in order to achieve God, God's ends. That doesn't mean compromise. It, it never means compromise. We are always going to miss out on the stuff that we could have, because there are certain lines that we're not allowed to cross. But I think being squeamish about spending money on fundraising is a position of privilege. It's saying, I'm not relying on those funds getting to help me. So I think we should be more prescriptive and get less. And I am comfortable with less being raised except less money for a charity being raised means fewer people hearing the name of Jesus means fewer people getting life-saving surgery, fewer people having disaster relief, food help, all of the stuff that they need. Again, this is never about guilt. The the, the best thing that I heard from um, somebody who was talking to a fundraising consultant who'd been doing it for like two decades, and they said, what's the secret to fundraising? And she kind of leaned in close and she said, ask people for money. (laughs) 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 Because legitimately, most people want to help. They want to do something good. And I think Christians do as well. And I think we're in danger of buying into a worldly narrative that makes us cynical and inoculates us against both grace grace and love when we start being too critical about people asking us for money for good things. Jesus says, give to anyone who asks you. (laughs) He's not talking about It's not even about undeserving and deserving it's literally somebody asks you for money give it to them that's how that's how you're supposed to be you're a pastor i'm sure there's many caveats to that but i would say we should be keen to help charities that do good things and obviously you need to work out with fear and trembling like your salvation the way that you um engage with these things for myself i i want to give to charities that help human beings that's my thing um i particularly have a passion for the world's poor. And I know that that sometimes people criticize, you shouldn't call them the poor. Okay. It's shorthand. People who have been financially, economically disadvantaged, and poverty does not mean not having a lot of money. Poverty means not having the choices that money affords you in society. That's the point. That's where my passion is, because that's the passion that I see of God running through the Bible. That's That's what charities need from you. Just said, so you know, I'm going to let you peek behind the curtain. That's what we need from you. We need to be able to ask you. We're not going to pressure you. We're not going to badger you. The money helps us do really good things.
1: Yeah, we we have similar debates in the church. You know, how often do we ask people for money? How often do we ask for particular projects over and above our tithing, all that kind of stuff? And and the conversation a lot of time comes down to, oh, we can ask. Yeah. We can ask and, and people can say no. And if they say no, we so absolutely fine. You don't have to justify yeah. to us why you're not giving. You don't have to justify your income, your expenses, any of that stuff. But we would like you to know that you could help. And actually sometimes, like you say, people want to help and are willing to help. And we have to give them the opportunity because there's that whole thing that to give is such a blessing as much mm-hmm. as it is to receive. And you deny people the joy and the blessing of giving. Which mm. is a spiritual discipline, a spiritual gift, um, and it's important we allow people the opportunity to help and to serve financially as well as in all the other ways. It's not any less or any more. Mm. Although for BMS maybe it's more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, my
1: my Twitter following is is a few people shy of Kim Kardashian's uh, numbers. I would say I'm, I'm, we're we're maybe neck and neck. I'm not sure. But since you have the attention of my potential 1,200 Twitter followers, tell us about what's happening in chat, Jonty.
0: Uh, well, you may want to check out the BMS World Mission uh, website, bmsworldmission.org, and you can search for Operation Chad. What, what it is, is a hospital that is um, staffed primarily by Chadians, uh, but we have some Ethiopians, we have um, some Americans sometimes, and we have a bunch of British expat mission workers. And the way that BMS works is not to send somebody to a country where there are plenty of people doing that job already. Um that's that's not the point. We're not trying to send house painters to countries that have plenty of painters to put them out of business. But at least we're doing it in the name of Jesus. We're trying to send people who are actually building capacity locally or standing in when there's not that capacity. So in a country that I think, you know, at last count had three ventilators, this may or may not be right. Um, but that was uh, the stat that I read a few years ago when I was um, reading up on it. The we, whole country we have, has three
1: ventilators? Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Holy
0: moly. Yeah. Um, so it's that kind of level of deprivation. It's that kind of level. And this is not to judge the government at all. Africa has been plundered by colonial powers for hundreds of years. And then economic policies put in place by North American and European conglomerates of countries, um, you know, have left Africa in poverty. Unless, unless not infantilized. There's also been some bad governments in Africa. You can be a bad leader and African just as much as you can be a bad leader. I just think that we tend to call it corruption when it's over there. But when our government gives their mates contracts, we don't call it corruption. We just say, oh, that's that's unusual. Anyway, point is, a lot of these countries have a lot of need. I come from one of them. I come from one of the wealthiest ones. And there's still a lot of kind of disparity in wealth and that sort of stuff. Um, And Chad is one of those countries. So we have a hospital there. It is run on a sustainable basis, um, uh, and we contribute quite a lot to its running, including sending anaesthetists and people who can help run the hospital and surgeons and various kinds of therapists in order to help it. Um, We've had UK Christians, I think the Welsh Baptists built a maternity ward there. BMS doesn't generally build buildings because I think that's a classic thing that churches like to give to, because they can see it. It's like shoebox ministries and that sort of stuff. If I can see it, it's really satisfying to me the best thing that you can do is send money to support local people doing good work or send money to support expats teaching local people to do good work. So it's a hospital that has chaplains. It's known as a Christian hospital. Most of its patients, the vast majority of its patients, are Muslims. Often they come for miles and like hundreds of miles because of the quality care that they get there. It was established in conjunction with the government, the government gave them permission to set it up there because they knew that there would be a need for this for the surrounding communities. Um, It's, it's such a great example of the work that they're doing that they they're working incredibly long days in 50 degree heat in summer uh, with no air conditioning. (laughs) Um, They have quite minimal equipment, but enough to do really good work. And it's not our only place in in Chad. We've got other people who have gone to a far more remote place in Chad um, and have set up a healthcare center there and are trying to build community trust in this health center because the local community had lost faith in it. Um, And so they're working alongside Chadian doctors in order to build, yeah, faith in in the, the medicine that's practiced there, and in the hospital there so that people can get And those guys are dealing with primarily gunshot wounds, because it's basically the Wild West. So uh, this is one country that BMS works in. Uh, and one one of our ministries, you know, we work in 30 countries around the world. And um, we have far more local workers that we support, we support that you support that your church supports that, that every church and every individual that supports BMS supports, than um, expat workers because the global church is growing. The global church is bigger than the church in the West at this point. And (laughs) exactly. And and so there's so much that they don't need us to go in and show them how it's done. What they need is to benefit from some of the experience that we have that they may not. Um, but it's always on the basis of them asking rather than BMS telling everybody what they're going to be doing. It's true partnership. It's supporting emerging leaders out there. And it's and it's participating in networks. It's not just going in gung-ho as, as a sole kind of organization and trying to do things that people are already doing and doubling up on work and all that kind of stuff. Again, the charity, NGO, and mission sectors have become very sophisticated and good at this stuff they really do know what they're doing. If you're dealing with reputable people and people who've been established for a long time and people who have been trying to keep on the cutting edge of mission, um, which BMS has, you know, since 1792, And, and even in the time that I've been at BMS, which is about 16 years, I've seen so much development and progress in terms of this passion for doing mission better and helping more people and reaching more people with the good news of Jesus. Yes, yeah, it's very cool. I just got on a bit of a tangent there because I'm quite passionate about what BMS does.
1: Go for it, I love it. Because BMS has uh, some kind of founding pillars of their work. So there's education, there's justice, there's healthcare, there's evangelism. Is there another one? Uh,
0: we've got development. We've got justice. We've got leadership. We've got church, uh, health, education. Okay. I always <laughs> forget one. Oh, disaster relief. <laughs> That's the one. Um, yeah.
1: That's what I need in my life: disaster relief. Um. <laughs> Yeah, it, and and to be able to work in all those realms, you can't just have well-meaning Christians going. Sure, I'll help build a school, or or I'll you know go and talk to some doctors. You need people with skills, tangible, well-experienced skills and knowledge to not only do that work, but to empower local leaders to do that work well. Yeah. Uh, and so part of the money is being able to invest in. You know, you can't just take on a missionary from anywhere who's just super passionate about Jesus. No, <laughs> they need it, to have some skills.
0: They do, and they. Uh, uh, I think there was a time when anybody who was willing to go out would be fine. But I think what you're seeing now is quite rightly, a lot of people in the world church are saying, I don't understand why you're sending me an inexperienced pastor to tell me how to do the job that I've been doing for 20 years. And I understand the context better.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, I think, I think that's something that like in any organization, there's, um, there is some, arrogance to repent of like in any person i think and i think a lot of um our kind of history has had ties to colonialism and imperialism but that doesn't mean that everything we did was bad i think there are generations of congolese christians you know there are 5 million baptists in congo that is not entirely but significantly down to BMS mission workers who went year after year as one died, they would just send another replacement. And so let's not be too down on the passionate amateur <laughs> model, um, but also with a church that strong, you don't need to be doing that anymore. Um, and I think I think, thinking about serving with BMS is going, does your, you know, we've got people who are really good at helping you discern your call. We have these things called, um, what are they called? they're kind of like, we have these days where you can come and you can check out what BMS is about and see if it's the kind of organization that you could serve with. And then they help you discern your calling and um, all of that sort of stuff to see to see if that's the way that you might be used through BMS. But, but we're not just going to send anybody in the same way that I think is quite bad when there's a disaster and people get on a plane and show up in the area because they become a net drain on resources, or you know when i was in india after the tsunami i was there six months after the boxing day tsunami was genuinely still quite horrific there and we were hearing stories of well-meaning churches in north america who had sent container ships of shoes because they had seen something on tv where the kids didn't have any shoes good people good hearts and probably even smart people but they just don't know enough about that area. So what they did was destroy the local shoemaking industry for a start, like completely destroyed. Mm. Um, and also the one thing that had made it into the the community was not what was needed, you know? And there's a whole bunch of stuff that I think you you have to know what you're doing before you get involved or you can end up with good intentions doing a fair amount of damage. Um, the, the, the trope of the blundering Westerner going into a culture arrogantly and not and not doing it well, I think is deserved. Um, I think the fact is that most aid agencies and NGOs and INGOs and charities today, don't do that. I'm sure there are a lot of kind of fly by night ones that do or ones that are still well meaning but ignorant of the impact on communities, or maybe they don't care about the impact on communities. And it's not just limited to the Christians, it has to be said, um, there was a brilliant Islamic relief video a few years ago, where it talked about, uh, it was this very funny video about um, a young Muslim guy who wanted to go and help the world, and he's a British Muslim guy. And so he shows up in what he considers to be the third world. And with all the arrogance that you would associate with the white savior complex, um, it's very funny. It's braver than anything I would commission our guys to do. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not just us then. <laughs> it was so good. I think I think it's important. It's kind of coming back to that communications thing because people read magazines and watch videos they think that they can do the job just as well as anybody else but when you start trying to do it you realize it's like any profession you know i can't because i know how to add up numbers become an accountant um there is a there is a skill set that i think we need to honor in communications and i think it's the same in doing effective and sustainable and respectful development work and mission work um, that, that requires thinking about, and requires experience and requires consultation. And that that's why I believe in agencies like BMS. I know sometimes e- even the agencies themselves can be like, oh, but we're the problem, you know, because we've got this history of you coming in and doing like that I don't buy that at all. And I find it quite offensive. Um, the people I know in these agencies have sacrificed a lot that, you know, none of them are earning what they could be in the private sector. Uh, A lot of them are putting themselves in personal danger, making personal sacrifices, family sacrifices, even in the back offices in the UK, in order to make to make the lives of people better to bring them fullness of life to bring them a knowledge of Jesus or an opportunity to hear his name. um, And to to bring the mercy that Jesus wants us to bring. And I know that's an unpopular word, but, but that's what it is. Um, and I think helping people to empower themselves, helping communities to become more resilient, um, you know, allowing us to take a back seat so that the world church can be empowered to help their neighbors um, and to be in dialogue with all of that. I think that's incredible. I think that's such a privilege. and and to be be down on that, when anything that I could do on my own, would potentially be dangerous, not just to me, but to whoever I was trying to help. I, I just think we are stronger together, when we work together, when we come together, when we allow people with giftings and, and skills and knowledge and all that kind of stuff to do what they're good at, and to empower them and yes, to hold them to account. Um, I think God can be really honored. And I I I get excited about that.
1: I love that you're excited. I love that you're passionate about BMS as well and the work they do. And, and they do, they really allow people to go and use great gifts and skills to empower communities, to, to lead themselves forward. Uh, And they have done some incredible work. So we would encourage people to check out BMS on their website and, uh, Various other things are ask Annie, we'll have Annie through baby on the podcast one day and ask her. She's in our house group at the moment. So we get to hear some cool stories about the work.
0: She uh, has had such an effect by the way. She is incredible. The stuff that she's done.
1: Don't listen to this Annie. We're sorry. Tell us about Annie.
0: I mean, it's been a while since I've actually written a story, but I've kind of read and helped proof them. So if I get details wrong, Annie, I'm super sorry. But I just know that Annie was doing this kind of local education work, training teachers, helping to kind of transform the way education was done in a part of Nepal. And again, the government there is just incredible in many ways, um, because they saw what she did and said, hey, can we apply that to our entire curriculum? (laughs) That's the effect that she's had. All of these kids are going to benefit from the work that she did because it was done in a way that then the government actually looked at. And we had this many years ago when I first joined BMS and we were doing some um, TB work in Kathmandu. And we had been running this clinic and it was a good kind of community health project. I think it was called the Yala community health project. I'm not entirely sure, but we had a worker who called Christine who was who was leading that and just doing she was so impressive, just kind of intimidating. And um very similar to kind of Annie, just like incredibly good at at this stuff. And the government had looked at it and gone, this is so effective. We're gonna replicate this um, and, and make it kind of a passing. It's just, it's just really cool when you see that kind of stuff like scalable and sustainable and, and people are being given a life in the name of Jesus. You know, that's cool.
1: Yeah. We love having her around and it's great because, um, I think most people know that I was trained as a teacher. Teaching's my kind of first love, actually, I think above all else. But she and I have had some good conversations because she's like, when you're preaching or when you're leading house group, I can see you using this teaching technique. And I'm like, yes, thank you. Somebody <laughs> noticed. <laughs> so you've had some great bonding. So coming back to our conversation about unskilled amateurs. Um speaking of <laughs> myself as a podcaster, <laughs> um, what people don't know is that podcasting is really flipping hard.
0: <laughs> it's really and hard.
1: I was like, I listen to 10 podcasts a week. I'll go do that. No bother. And yeah. then I phoned you and I was like, help. <laughs> <laughs> help me. This is really hard. <laughs> um, and so if you've heard any improvement in my podcasting over the last six months, you can thank Jonte for it because you are actually also a um, host of a podcast. I
0: I am a, I am a host of a podcast. Um, a real one. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know if it's a real one. Um I have to say that you do yourself a disservice because I think you have so much natural talent and instinct for communication and for podcasting and um I have been on your case for a really long time to it keep can. podcasting because I think I think you're really gifted at it and I think it's it's a ministry that you could use really well. Uh my I have a couple of podca- I have a music podcast which is just fun and playing music uh cuz I used to be a DJ. And I have a podcast called Beer Christianity, which is in no way associated with BMS, and it's not done on BMS time because it is um, is quite different from There's different from talk the BMS time. In your
1: Christianity.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's a. It's a. It's a different vibe. It's quite sweary. It's uh, very politically left wing. Um, but what we're trying to do is be as real as possible, and the whole. The whole vision of it was we were having these really great conversations down the pub um, after work, like a bunch of us from um, BMS or from some of the other kind of organizations that work in the same building or some people who we knew from church who would come and hang out with us. And we'd often be talking about society and politics from a Christian perspective, or we'd be talking about God. and I, as a as a kind of freelance journalist, was getting to interview people from the Christian world or Christian adjacent world, or, or just people who are, I don't know, like who know something in an area that I think Christians should care about because you don't only have to care about the church. And so trying to integrate all of that into a podcast that is just like real conversation between three friends from coming from slightly different perspectives, talking about everything from the environment to, yeah, to politics and that sort of stuff and just being as free and as real as we can. And I think that, yeah, trying to make it, I I, I don't want to say like a ministry because I don't think it's more, I just wanted to do a podcast and I thought it would be fun. Um, But, but yeah, I think it, I think we've had a lot of people write into us and say how encouraging they found it and how good it's been for their faith and just how they've not, people who've maybe felt alone In their own contexts, because their views or how they were were just just didn't quite fit in with their churches. So it's kind of like a an outsiders um, Christian podcast, which is kind of I guess the space I occupy generally, anyway. So
1: it's interesting because I mean we I think we spoke about this when I was on the podcast. But my working theory about podcasts um, is that people enjoy them because they are the conversations they wish they were having. Mm. And I mean if you're active on Twitter, the the yelling at each other in 140 characters with zero nuance is so frustrating and and not entirely productive. Uh, And I think part of the reason that people love podcasts is because there's an opportunity to listen into conversations that actually have depth and detail and gray area and nuance and, and actually unpack all the stuff we wish we could have in our own conversations. Um, But I also wonder if there's something, I think, you know, you've said it's not a ministry and and it's maybe not intentionally. So But I, I think podcasting is an, maybe i'm just behind but it's an un unmind mission field i think there's something interesting in that people can participate in conversations that they would be otherwise too intimidated to participate in so i mean part of it i so some of the some of the podcasts i listen to are hollywood trash um because i love celebrities chatting about their life and (laughs) <laughs> what they do when they hang out so it's like I get to be in the room with three really famous celebrities just hanging out so there's a bit of like yeah I get to be part of a world that I'm not part of and that's that's my Saturday morning escape is um Dak Shepherd. but but then there's other podcasts where you think I really want to know something about this topic but I don't want to go and ask someone who's going to yell at me and I don't want to go and speak to someone who's going to try and sell me on it I just want to hear what people in that world talk about to see if there's any merit in the conversations that they're having. And I just wonder if Christianity has a great opportunity in the podcast realm um, to be having those more nuanced. We, we don't have a good reputation in the media, Christians. No. We yell a lot. Mm. Um, and I just wonder if there's an opportunity for for mission in the sense that we can invite people into conversations they don't have to be threatened by.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I, I think for me, I think of it in terms of witness. Um, it's it's being present as a christian and as a consciously christian presence in every area of your life so you know and it depends on i realize for me because i'm quite extroverted you know i think of it as the shop that i regularly go to or the pub that i regularly go to i want i want to know the bartender i want to know the guy behind the counter and i want him to know that i like him and i love him and i'm respectful of him and i also want him to know that i'm a christian (laughs) um and uh, for me that kind of comes out naturally because my beliefs tend to just pour out of me generally speaking um but but i want them so so and i think podcasting is the same thing it's it doesn't have to be an evangelistic podcast because again coming back to comms theory why would (laughs) why would your target demographic click on that i mean if the Lord is leading to them, them to that, then obviously that happens and that's great. But for me, I would rather, not that I would rather, I think it's more effective to just be a reasonable Christian in a space that people like you can kind of see, oh, I could be a Christian. I think so much of our witness is about removing the artificial boundaries or barriers or stumbling blocks between people and coming to faith in Jesus or coming to a place where they might consider coming to faith in Jesus. For me, it was, oh, there are Christian bands who make punk rock, heavy metal, and industrial music. As a teenager, that was it. I was like, oh, I can be a Christian. That was what I needed. And then I was on the path and the Holy Spirit was ministering to me. And when I was 18, I became a Christian coming from a completely unchurched family. Um, And for me, the space that I'm occupying now is, I know so many leftists and socialists and communists and anarchists who think that the church is a tool of imperialist oppression, and that Christianity is just an opiate of the masses, and it's meant to keep us docile and to not fight for justice. And, and, it, and nothing could be further from the truth, but they need to hear a Christian who is not preaching at them, who is not shouting at them, who is not telling them how wrong they are about everything. They need to find some, one of their own. You know, I used to work in Gothic nightclubs, you know, Like, I have no idea if my ministry there was good. I I very rarely do. I just know that I was trying to be as authentically myself and authentically Christian as I could at the time. And I think that might have had an impact. I hope. I don't know. I think that's sometimes the best we can hope for, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And that, that presence, even to say an agreeable presence, not that people have to agree with you. But- they'd
0: find it hard to agree with my podcast <laughs> a lot of the time
1: <laughs> but a presence that that just isn't repellent I think there's something yeah. in the conversation thing that um so we had Sylvia on the podcast uh, last two episodes ago and Sylvia and I became friends over the last year and she it's really interesting we connected really quickly and we got together and we have a fair amount of gin. And, and we just talk about what God has done in our lives. And we talk about how much God has done to write our stories. We, you know, we both had difficult beginnings in life and we, we talk about how God has spoken to us, how God has led us, how God has changed us. And, and just the the amazing power and grace that Jesus has invested in our lives and we talk about that we're so blooming passionate about it and we just get can you believe God does this in our lives can you believe mm-hmm. that we get to serve a God who is this good to us and and those are the conversations where you think gosh I wonder if people heard those conversations yeah what it would say to them and whether that would be more effective than me trying to convince them that John three sixteen is a legitimate um mm. life mantra <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And I just think those are the conversations that I want people to hear more of those. And I think we need to be mindful because there's something in podcasting of overhearing conversations that actually are winsome and would would draw somebody to Jesus because Jesus sounds like he does some really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, and being mindful of that, even in the marketplace, you kind of euphemism for whatever you are, mm-hmm. um, how we talk about the Lord It would break my heart if people heard church people out in the shops saying, church is exhausting, church is this, church is that, it's such a burden, it's such hard work, which at times it is. I mean, I'm a pastor, so Mm -hmm. Lord knows I know.
0: I don't Um, want your job, but yeah.
1: (laughs) But for people to hear that and go, I'm not going there then. Yeah. All it is is extra work. All it is is temperance. All it is is just, you know, and and yeah, I think Mm -hmm. if people could hear the conversations I get to have where where my friends and I, it just pours out of us how thankful, how grateful, how just amazed we are that way God writes our stories. I think surely everybody would want this.
0: Yeah. And I I, and I think I would just, I want to echo all of that and say, I think that is, that is absolutely true. I think those of us who want the church to be better do need to be careful about how we talk about the church in front of other people or in front of people who are not in the church. And, and I don't mean be dishonest. I don't mean hide things. I just mean there is that tendency, especially again, because my people are more on the left. My people are more, you know, on the kind of so called progressive side and all that kind of stuff of us to go, I'm not like those Christians, you know, the terrible Christians. I'm not like them. I'm not like ex Christian who I disagree with I'm a different kind of Christian or even I don't even want to call myself a Christian because I'm so much better than <laughs> than that I'm I'm special a pastor, cool. but not
1: like those pastors
0: yeah but but exactly and I think we can fall into that as Christians as well and I would just say that the places in which I have felt God's pleasure the most and quoting Charitza of father um is mm-hmm. where we are not holding <laughs> away where we're not holding back from places because we think that's not where Christians go. Um, Absolutely be holy, absolutely be the best person that God wants you to be. But I think for me, our our realness is a ministry that we underutilize and being the most honestly you while being the most unashamedly following of Jesus and following Jesus right, not following Jesus in order to promote the church or um, you know, Christian Britain or whatever, but following the Jesus who showed mercy and helped people and spoke to the outcast and accepted both left and right in quite annoying ways, um, and and follow Jesus and be yourself in a really passionate way and a really honest way, and then the Spirit can do its work. I think, I think it's hard for the Spirit to 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 work with half-truths. Be truly yourself and follow Jesus truly. And I think I think there's a lot that you can do in places you didn't even know were your mission field, you know, because everything's your mission field. Be yourself. Be if Don't go, oh, well, I have to be like them, so I have to go to this place. Go to the places you want to go to. Be the person you want to be. Just be the Christian version of yourself, you know, the person that God wants you to be.
1: I mean, I remember when I was applying for the role here and I thought, I just don't know if I can be a pastor because I don't I'm not serious. (laughs) I'm not serious all the time. And I just don't want to be boring and I don't want to have to have the preacher's voice. And I don't like, I really resisted going into pastoral ministry because I didn't want to be the cardboard cutout. It's not that I want to be some rebel pastor, but just that version of being a pastor means becoming boring, um, even to be a female pastor I was like right I have to tone down the girliness and I have to not talk about sparkly shoes from the pulpit and all that kind of stuff um and I think I managed that for like a month (laughs) and I was like this is too hard it's too hard to keep pretending and I'm sorry guys you're gonna get what you get um and it's interesting since I've come here the thing I hear most often from most people is we're really glad that you're yourself keep being Mm. yourself here Mm. and I just think, why would I ever have bothered being anything else? But this is
0: but this is the thing. I, I remember a huge fear of mine on the night that I became a Christian, on the night I gave my life to Jesus, was I don't want to have to wear blue jeans and white T-shirts, which is a ridiculous worry to have, obviously, for any human being. But for me, it was a really big deal because that symbolized a conformity to a way of being that I would never have felt true in you know and you know and then i discovered all these amazing christian you know alternative bands and i also discovered that jesus doesn't need me to conform to an aesthetic standard you know yeah you know that that i can be who i am because god loves who i am and yes he wants to make me better but who i am is who he loves which is a hard thing for any of us to actually remember but you know i try to hold on to that
1: and actually tr- we as we are transformed we become more Christ-like, but I also believe we become more of ourselves. Mm. Um, I think sin changes who we are, but makes us less of ourselves um, mm. in different ways. And for me, you know, I kind of talk about it, that actually who we are and and the image of God within us is almost like the Russian dolls. And mm. and we think of Christianity as, as putting another layer of the dolls on and building them up, building them up until that sinful self at the core is like so hidden with all the layers. Mm. And I remember the Holy Spirit interrupted me one time and he says, you've got it backwards. He says, start taking those layers off because yeah. right, the core of who you are is the Christ-like image of God in you and who you are. These layers are actually what the world has put on you, what sin has put on you. Start taking those off. And as God takes those off, you will become more Christ-like and more yourself. Yeah, Both of those are actually okay.
0: I, I don't know. I'm super pleased that you are a pastor. I remember having the conversation while you were still thinking about it and uh, yeah, I think your church is lucky to have you, guys. You're lucky to have her. I tell um, them that
1: all the time.
0: <laughs> you should, but you know what I hear um from Amy, and she probably won't tell you this, but she speaks so highly of you, Leslie Baptist, and what a lovely church you are, and what good people you are, and just you sound like a really, really great fellowship. And um I am, oh wow, you can tell I'm in the para-church professional Christian thing. I called it a fellowship. um <laughs> You sound like a really nice bunch of people and uh yeah she really loves you you should know that she probably i mean i don't know if she's even going to leave this in the podcast but you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> i might i'll see how next nice they are to me on my birthday um uh, but it's interesting because the thing i say most often about the church as well is i've never met a church like them who bring their whole selves hmm. they do they bring their whole selves to the church and that makes leadership at times quite messy uh, it makes fellowship at times quite messy because they bring all of who they are into it there's no hmm. distinction between um Sunday people and weekday people that the Correct. mess is all in there I'm like good great because I'm a mess too so we can all be messy together and we'll all work yeah. it out messy pastor for a messy church god knows what he's doing <laughs> <laughs> is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to talk about
0: from a BMS perspective I guess it would just be um thank you thank you for supporting the work that's getting done I think that's amazing um and it's it's good it is really making a difference and I guess uh, for myself personally, I just say around that stuff: be aware of the strong narrative that is anti-charity that has been growing in the affluent West over the last few years. Um, look out for it, and don't don't be deceived by it, because it could turn you into an uncharitable person. And I think that's that would be a shame.
1: Our last question we always ask is: How can we pray for you? How can we pray for BMS? How can we pray for Jaunty?
0: Um if you could pray for me to find a good work-life balance Uh, this year has been hard Um, bms has worked really really hard to make sure that we were continuing to relate to churches and to make sure that um, we're still able to do all the work that we've been doing and it's been really successful and really good Um, and people have been incredibly generous and god has been really kind to us but um, I found it incredibly stressful. Uh, and I need to I need to make sure that I'm able to handle the stress. Um, and yeah, just get a good work-life balance. So if you can pray for God's guidance for me in that, I think that'd be great. And just for creative inspiration.
1: Very important. We serve a creative God, so. There's hope yet. Our final dedication for this episode goes to Jim Purvis.
0: Jim Purvis, Purvis. the man, the legend.
1: Thank you for all that you do for us.
0: (laughs) Jim, we love you. This one's for you.
1: I am so grateful to Jonte for giving us his time, uh, for giving his time to helping me make the podcast better and for sharing with us all the incredible work of BMS. You can check out some of the places that they work and the incredible people working with them at bmsworldmission.org. That's bmsworldmission.org. This week, don't forget to pray for the work of BMS. BMS for Jonte and for our mission partners, Annie and Chaz Tanner. This is the end of season two. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I hope that it has helped us as a church to imagine what it could look like to expand the kingdom of God in the community of Leslie in the days ahead. Sunday coming is the first week of our Advent series as we begin the countdown to Christmas. Thank you all so much for joining us on this journey. Have a great week. Stay safe and stay well.